Our Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us, this uh, time to gather, to worship you, to honor you, to hear your word preached to us. And thank you for this opening hour when we can consider some of your attributes. And today, as we consider your wisdom and your power, um, let us uh, consider them, let, let them um, remind us of how great you are and cause us to worship you rightly, to reverence you as we ought to, and use this time here to prepare us as we go into the next hour to worship you corporately as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Um, so we're moving into what we might consider the second section of the first question in this part of the catechism. Um, question seven of the Baptist catechism. So for the last two sessions, we've been looking at some of what we call the incommunicable attributes of God. Um, that he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. We call them incommunicable attributes. Why? Can someone tell me? They belong only to God. They uh, are, are totally exclusive to him. We do not have uh, these attributes, infinity, eternity, and unchangeability in our beings at all. So for probably the next three sessions, we'll be looking at the communicable attributes of God that are listed in the latter part of our catechism's answer. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, if you haven't already, um, go ahead. I'll give you a couple seconds to pull up the question if you don't, or the, the answer if you don't remember it, but we'll, uh, we will recite it together again. Um, hopefully by this point with repetition, y'all have at least got a good handle on it though. So the question is, question seven, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. All right. So today we're going to consider the first of the uh, ones that are the communicable attributes. The first two, wisdom and power. As we've talked about before, these are called communicable attributes because they are attributes which creatures like us can have in some measure. Whereas God has them infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably, we have them finitely, temporarily, and mutably. We start our lives with basically no wisdom. We have to learn it and increase it in it over time. And we can also decrease in wisdom in various ways, whether through injury or sickness that affects the brain or through being deceived by foolish ideas. And then power, uh, which describes physical strength or other kinds of strength as well as authority. Again, we start our lives with very little power and we can increase in it over time as well as uh, lose um, our strength or our authority that we might have over time. We can lose physical strength through injury or illness or neglect of our bodies. Uh, and we can lose authority by stepping down or being removed from positions that we might be in that carries authority. Um, 
but God is perfect and uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in wisdom and power. So when we say that God is uh, all wise or infinitely wise or perfectly wise, what does this mean? Well, first, it means that he knows all things. Uh, When we looked at the infinity of God, we covered this when we talked about his infinite knowledge. But second, it includes the fact that he has designed his works so perfectly to accomplish all of his purpose. He will never make any mistakes Uh, because our wisdom is faulty. We might have some purpose that we desire to fulfill, but then we do works toward that purpose that end up failing either due to some miscalculation on our part or because we lacked all the necessary facts. But since God knows all things and he is all wise, he won't ever make any mistakes. All of his works are perfectly ordered so that his good purpose is accomplished exactly as he intends. And there are a lot of affirmations in scripture of God's wisdom. Uh, I'll have y'all go to a few of them. If someone could look up Psalm 104.24. Someone else, Romans 11.33. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. And Ephesians 3.10. So if I could have uh, y'all look up some of those. Uh, and if someone's got Psalm 104.24, go ahead and, and read that one. O Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. All right. Uh, Romans 11.33. Someone have that? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. All right. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and all right, and uh, Ephesians 3.10. So that, so that through the church and the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right, thank you. So God's wisdom is manifested in his works of creation, redemption, and providence. God created this world and the creatures in it so perfectly suited to inhabit this earth. He created the sun to provide light and energy. He created the moon to control the tides. He created the stars to give light and beauty to the night sky, as well as to assist in navigation. Um, The fact that everything in creation is ordered to fulfill its purpose so exactly demonstrates the wisdom of God. And that's even after the fall where we know that corruption has entered so that things don't work as perfectly as they did before. There is now death and disease. There are now environmental disasters and so forth. But yet the world continues to function. And there's still a great deal of beauty to behold. Um, Genesis 2, 8, and 9 says, right after the creation of Adam, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God made the trees to be not only good for food to sustain uh, man and the animals, but also to be pleasant to the sight. God's wisdom and creation wasn't only concerned with function, but also with form and beauty. 
Now, of course, God tasks us with working in this creation to further both its functionality and its beauty. Some of you probably have gardens and flower beds that you work on to make them look more beautiful than they would be if if left on their own. Um, But there's a great deal of beauty that exists in nature uh, by the working of God that does not require our help. A lot of us enjoy looking at sunsets or looking at stars or traveling to parts of the world that are relatively untamed by man in order to look at the natural beauty that God has created. And again, this is all in a fallen world. I mean, we can't imagine how beautiful Eden was before the fall. But of course, the world to come, which we're looking forward to, will surpass even that. Secondly, God's works of redemption reveal his wisdom. Um, His wisdom is seen in satisfying his just character while also restoring sinners to happy fellowship with him. So we'll look at his justice in the next session. But for God to allow the violation of his laws to go without any due punishment would be incongruous with his perfectly just character. Um, God is good, and that's, again, one of the attributes we'll look at later, his goodness. But because he is good, he is merciful, and his mercy cannot be opposed to his justice. Disobedience to God's law is so heinous that mere humans would never be able to satisfy the justice of God so as to be restored to fellowship with God. I mean, in our human legal systems, uh, many crimes are not so severe that the criminal is unable to satisfy his sentence and later be restored to good standing in society. But in God's legal system, this is impossible. And so for us to bear our own sins would make redemption impossible. Therefore, God determined to take the punishment upon himself. But we know that divinity cannot suffer. And even if divinity could, it wouldn't be human suffering, so it would not be of the right kind of suffering to be able to redeem sinful humans. And so God in his perfect wisdom then, in the person of his son, took on a fully human nature and suffered the full measure of the punishment that we deserve. As Romans 3.26 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's the wisdom of God that was able to come up with this plan of redemption um, in order to make what was seemingly impossible, the restoration of sinners to fellowship with God, possible. Um. And then the means by which we become partakers in this redemption also uh, shows the wisdom of God. Uh, The fact that we receive it by faith and that this faith comes from hearing the words of the gospel preached by other weak and foolish humans. Um, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I mean, this seems contradictory to human wisdom. Surely you might think such a wise and powerful God could come up with a more effective way of delivering salvation to sinners than through the feeble preaching of humans, right? But what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven? It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And so this gives God 
uh, it's, this serves God's glory and salvation that weak creatures like us are able to be used by him as instruments to bring about salvation. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Um, and then thirdly, God's wisdom is seen in his works of providence. The way that he brought Joseph to power in Egypt by Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and then later falsely accused by his uh, master's wife demonstrates the wisdom of God. Thus, God is more glorified, which is his highest end, in having his works accomplished in these unexpected ways. Um, Similarly, he reduced Gideon's army to 300 which ordinarily would have been an exceptionally inadequate number to defeat 120,000 Midianites. Had all of the armies of Israel attacked, they could have received credit for overwhelming the Midianites through strength of arms, but by only sending 300 men, God received all the glory for it. And then God saved Jonah by having him swallowed by a fish. He saved Paul by having him shipwrecked. He gave a greater opportunity to... Uh, to Paul to proclaim the gospel by having him imprisoned. And then he grew and strengthened the church through persecution. Um, Not only that, but some of the examples that I've just given serve as types of the Messiah. And so God in his providence brought these things like the case of Joseph or the case of Jonah about in order to strengthen the testimony of the gospel. So God's Uh, Wisdom is found in his works being carried out through the sinful actions of men. Um, This aforementioned uh, persecution of Joseph by his sinful brothers and his master's wife, the men who crucified Jesus, the Jews and Romans who persecuted the church, these all have worked together to fulfill God's purpose of redemption and to bring God glory for it. Because though he isn't the author of sin and though he abhors and does not approve sin, he has used it to accomplish his eternal purpose. And this demonstrates his wisdom. And the fact that God is all wise, it further demonstrates alongside all of these other uh, attributes that we're going to be looking at. The fact that he is God, the fact that he is infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his being because only such an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being could possibly possess all wisdom in all perfection. Um, he's created us. He's given us all good gifts. He's placed us into a world filled with all these great providences that sustain us and that we are able to enjoy. And even though we've sinned, he's perfectly orchestrated our salvation And therefore, we ought to adore him for his wisdom and we ought to trust him. Even in times where we feel like things are against us and that they are out of control, we can know that God's good purpose is being carried out in it. And so we should especially trust God in those times. And by recognizing his providence in working all things out, we should give him all the honor and all the credit and all the glory for his wisdom And we should exclaim with Paul, oh, the depths of the riches 
and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways. So that's uh, all I have to say on the wisdom of God. We'll move on to the power of God. But does anyone want to uh, comment on anything or add to it? No, Hal's not here, but I'm sure some others of you uh, could might might have some um, words to consider. Um, but if not, we can uh, move on to uh, considering the power of God. So the so the second attribute, the power of God is uh, affirmed in scripture first in one of the names that God gives to himself. In Genesis 17:1, he says, "I am El Shaddai, meaning God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless." So, God being all-powerful, it means that he can do all things except those that would be unbecoming of him as God. So he can't uh, do things that are foolish or unjust. He can't subject himself to weakness. But he can do everything that is agreeable with his divine perfections. Um, he has all authority and all strength. He has full authority over all creation. Uh, and I've, again, I'm going to ask you all to look up some different scriptural affirmations of this and, and read them. So the first one would be Psalm 30, verse 9. Someone go to that. Then Psalm 115, verse 3. Then Proverbs 21, verse 1. Isaiah 45, verse 9. And Isaiah 66, verse 1. So if someone has Psalm 30, verse 9. If you could uh, please read that one. All right. Oh, okay, sorry. I'll read them again. Psalm 30, verse 9. Psalm 115, verse 3. Proverbs 21, verse 1. Isaiah 45, 9. And Isaiah 66, 1. So Psalm 30, verse 9. Someone have that one? Maybe I should have assigned them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Will the Lord be my help? Uh, is that Psalm thirty, verse nine? Okay, maybe I wrote the wrong way. I was thinking, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. I guess I wrote the wrong reference, I'm sorry. Uh, so we have Psalm 115.3. All right. Our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. All right, and then Proverbs 21.1. Isaiah 45, 9. All right. Thank you. All right. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands? 
All right, thank you. And Isaiah 66, 1. Thank you. So God, he created all things. He spoke and by his word, everything that exists besides himself came into existence. The material things came into existence and the laws of nature, which govern them, came into existence. And not only the material things, but also the spiritual beings, the angels, uh, came into being by the word of God's power. But though he established natural laws and patterns, he also has the power to bring about extraordinary supernatural events, which are not ordinarily possible. If you ever took a physics class, you probably were taught certain natural laws, such as uh, that matter cannot be created or destroyed, but only rearranged, or that energy cannot be created or destroyed, but only transferred or changed into a different form. These things are true according to God's ordinary providence, and no creature has the power to overcome these laws, but God does have the power to work above and beyond them. And he did so in the original creation. The first matter came into being, and energy first came into being. And he's also done so in some of his miraculous works. For example, when he uh, multiplied the bread and the fish to feed thousands, I, I don't believe he took that matter from another place. I believe he created it then and there. Um, He brought a global flood upon the earth. He brought plagues upon the Egyptians, which haven't been seen before or since. Uh, In Joshua 10, God held the sun in the sky, or rather we might say halted the rotation of the earth, in order to allow time for the armies of Israel to complete their battle against the Amorites. He allowed Jonah to survive in the belly of a fish for three days. He turned water into wine. He as I just mentioned, multiplied small quantities of bread and fish to feed many thousands of people. And on multiple occasions, he raised the dead, most significantly our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Job proclaims the strength of God a couple of times. Uh, Job 9 verses 4 and then going to verse 19 says, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. Um, Job actually probably uh, proclaims the different attributes of God more frequently than any other book of the Bible. Um, In salvation, God is able to overcome the hardest of hearts. So John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So no one is able to resist God's saving power if God has determined that he's going to save them. Even those who are most resistant to the word of the gospel are not beyond saving. If you look at the apostle Paul, uh, there weren't many men in the world more unlikely to be converted than him. And yet he was converted and became a great minister of the gospel. And then Romans nine nineteen, a verse we're all familiar with. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Even the mightiest king cannot resist the power of God. 
Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, which was probably the mightiest nation in the world at that time. But when he exalted himself, God struck him with madness until he came to realize that he was nothing before the Almighty God. So since God is all-powerful, let's fear him with a reverent fear. Could someone go to Jeremiah 5.22 and read that? Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So fear God because he is the eternal judge, and no one will be able to avoid his judgment. Now, this shouldn't be a terror to believers, but it should cause us to treat God with the highest reverence and to have a great appreciation of and thankfulness for the fact that he has made this work of redemption to deliver us from that miserable condition that we would otherwise be in. And it should cause us to strive for the assurance of faith. And we should see how serious the condition of the wicked is, that without salvation, this perfect and infinite power of God is entirely against them and that they will not be able to stand before him. And recognizing the power of God should show us the foolishness of unbelief. So take note of the Israelites, for example, how they frequently doubted the power of God. Um, in Exodus 15.24 and 17.3, they doubted that God would be able to give them water. Think about it. He did it once, and then two chapters late, less than two chapters later, they doubted him again on the exact same point. And then in Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3, they doubted that he would be able to feed them in the wilderness. And then in Numbers 13 and 14, they doubted that God would be able to conquer the inhabitants of the land. Um, and the psalmist uh, Asaph comments on this in Psalm 78, 17 to 22. He says, Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against against God saying can God spread a table in the wilderness he struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed can he also give bread or provide meat to his people therefore when the when the Lord heard he was full of wrath a fire was kindled against Jacob his anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power and then uh, the author of Hebrews comments on this again in uh, Hebrews three nineteen. He says, so that we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So we need to believe in the power of God and trust that he can do all things. And if you believe in him and if you trust in his gospel, then you know that his power is on your side. 
when you're struggling with sin and temptation, trust in his power to overcome it. Remember that the same power that God, uh, that allowed God to save you also preserves you. So first Peter one verses three to five says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. But do not harden your heart against God, lest he allow you to fall away. Um, Trust in him in all your difficulties, in your infirmities and suffering, and know that no matter what happens to your body in this life, You will be raised up with a perfect, incorruptible body on the last day. God has the power to do that. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 and 14 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, so we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the greatest display of God's power. And if he can raise Christ, then he can raise us. And so nothing in this life should uh, cause us to despair of, of our condition. And so understanding now that God is perfectly wise and all powerful, trust that he has ordained all things for good that his good purposes will be fulfilled and that there's nothing that we or anyone else can do to stop him from accomplishing what he has purposed for us. And so if you believe in his gospel of salvation, don't doubt him in anything, but instead trust him and give him all the glory for his wisdom and power and for all of his works. And so when we're going in the next hour to worship him, let's just keep that in mind. Um, Does anyone else have any questions or comments or anything to add? And if not, um, Jason, will you pray for us? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have had to study your infinite wisdom and power. Just pray that you would Help us to understand your attributes. Help us to realize our place. Help us to flee to Christ for our strength and wisdom and power. Lord, all that we have, let it be for Christ. Let us realize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. I do thank you for this time that we've had. and pray that you would prepare our hearts now for worship. Go to the sanctuary, Lord, just help us to be prepared to worship you in truth. Again, just thank you for this blessed time that we've had here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.